my daughter's birthday tomorrow. She got some presents from grandma today. Yeah. One of them was like a Rapunzel dress and a wig. And I'm like, oh, did your dress come with Rapunzel hair? And my son's like, it's just a wig, dad. <laughs> nice. And I'm like, I was like, son, do you know what you need to be when you grow up? He's like, what? I'm like, you need to be a short seller. He's like, why? And I'm like, because you look for the truth when everybody's getting happy yeah. about, right. about nothing. <laughs> right. He's like, do they make a lot of money? And I'm like, they make money when everybody else loses money. <laughs> so it's, um, there, it's mentioned in the big short, the synthetic CDO. And they talk about it. I think they simplify it too much. They talk about it as like a side bet on other people's bets. So okay. you start betting on the outcome of other people's bets. And so what sure. you end up with is you might have $10 million in mortgages, but people have made multi-billion dollar side bets on the performance of those mortgages. Okay. And so when those mortgages default, you don't just lose the value of the mortgages. Everybody who's made a side bet on them loses. Okay. And that, that did magnify the the financial crisis. That's what turned it from a bubble to a worldwide global economic ruin. Sure. Um, but I don't think they don't spend enough time actually trying to explain how a synthet synthetic CDO works. Right. And when I, I've watched multiple YouTube videos and read multiple articles to try and figure out how it works and how to explain it in kind of normal terms. And when I've explained it to people, people are like, how is that legal? Ah, how can you do that? Right. Okay. But it's like, oh my goodness. It's like, so I, <laughs> I sell you a house for a hundred million dollars. Okay. okay. Sure. So what do you do with a house? You collect rent on a house, right? Yeah. You would collect rent that, and, and that's what return you earn on it. So let's say rental rate is 2% of the value of the house. Okay. Value of the property. That's the market rate you can rent out this property for. Okay. I come to you and say, don't worry, I'm going to pay you better than market rent on this property I just sold you for $100 million. Sure. You're like, okay, great. But the rental payments are actually insurance payments on your neighbor's house. Wait, what does that mean? I don't understand that. So what I'm saying, you, I have sold you a property for $100 million and I've said, I'm going to pay you a better return than the market pays. But the, the payments that I'm making to you aren't rent per se. They're actually insurance payments on a different, on the performance of a different property. Well, I, so wait, but you're just giving me money. No, I sold you the house. So you gave me a hundred million dollars. I gave you a house and now I'm going to make payments to you. Right. So you're paying me rental payments every month, but it's not rent. It's insurance payments. But I mean, so this is, I think because where you lost me. <laughs> this is where I've lost you. Well, cause so, you're, you're giving me money. I mean, how, how can you determine where my money goes? So, okay. So the reason why it becomes in, an insurance payment is that I'm paying you these payments, but it's actually for a contract and the contract is based on the performance of your neighbor's house. And so that's what they did with these credit default swaps is that they get a bunch of money from someone and then they would buy a secure asset with that money. So I'd give you a bond or something like that, right? We'd package it as a bond. Okay. And I would take that money to buy something that was relatively secure. Okay. And then we would have a 
credit default swap contract between us, which is pretty much insurance on bonds, but it's in, not insurance on the bonds that we bought together. It's insurance on the bonds on a different set of bonds. Okay. And so that's why they, it's synthetic is that it behaves like a collateralized debt obligation, which is kind of like a bond, but it's not actually, no one actually owns the bonds. We're just betting on the performance of a different set of bonds. So that's why I use, I use a house instead of a bond is because that's like, most people don't buy and sell bonds to each other, but, but everyday people buy and sell houses to each other, right? Sure. Like that's something you can kind of wrap your head around is I've sold mm. you this house. And then instead of paying you rent on the house, I'm paying you insurance premiums on the performance of your neighbor's house, whether or not your neighbor burns down. Your neighbor's house burns down. Sorry, you're, you're selling me, you're paying me insurance premiums on whether or not my neighbor's house burns down. Yes. So you've given me a bunch of money. We put it in a pot. We use that money that was in a pot to buy something relatively secure. Which is? Which, for our example, a house. Okay, and the house is held in trust. Okay? Okay. Okay. And then I'm going to make monthly payments to you that are better than market rates for rent on that house. Right. But it's not rent. It's insurance premiums on this insurance agreement that we also have between us. Okay. And the insurance is on your neighbor's house, on a property none of us own. Okay. And if your neighbor's house burns down, then I get to, you have to use the money that you gave me originally to pay me back for your neighbor's house. Okay. So you give me a bunch of money. I agree to pay you back, but I'm paying you back. We, we take that money, we use it to buy a relatively secure asset. Mm -hmm. And then the way you get your payback is insurance premiums on, on your neighbor's house, on a house that none of us own. Right. And so but if the house burns down, then I have to pay out the insurance claim. Exactly. <clears throat> out of the money that... You already... That, that's being held in trust in these secure assets. Sure. And you get the, the insurance claim. Exactly. Okay, and then you go and burn the house down, or you just know that it's going to burn down. The way that these these synthetic CDOs were structured uh, with Goldman Sachs mm -hmm. is that the person who created the portfolio, the reference, so your neighbor's house is the reference portfolio, okay? Okay, all right. And so the guy who built the reference portfolio, it was full of junk bonds, and he went through Goldman Sachs because he knew he was a notorious short seller, and he knew no one would accept this agreement with him because they knew he would pick a reference portfolio full of junk. And so Goldman Sachs didn't tell the German bank that they sold this to that it was mostly full of junk bonds, the reference portfolio. So they actually arranged this insurance agreement and the neighbor's house is built of kindling and it's right next to a fire uh, fireworks factory. So that that is the, the whole arrangement that you get is you give me a bunch of money, we buy something that's relatively secure with it. I make it, we also at the same time get out an insurance contract on your neighbor's house that has a comparative face value. Right. And I'm going to make insurance payments to you. And the insurance payments are going to be better than the rent you could get on the secure assets we already bought. 
Right. But if the neighbor's house burns down, you, I get the insurance claim. You've got to pay me, and the payment comes out right. of the money you already gotcha. gave me. Gotcha. So you could lose everything. Right. And since I'm packaging this deal together, I'm picking all the, the bonds that we're betting on. And right. they're so, all so made... It, it seems like a good deal, potentially. It's, it's like, here's a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, who's buying the house? I'm buying the house. You're buying the house. So you give me a bunch of money. You buy yeah, the house. So, so why are we using a house? Why don't you sell an insurance company? Here's an insurance company. If you, you can buy this for me, it's it's very profitable. But uh, maybe I'm thinking too much into this. But, but here, but I'll, and I'll pay you premiums. And I'll pay you extra premiums. Like your premiums you're going to charge people for insurance are $1,000 a month. I'll pay you ten. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So it seems like a good deal to me. I buy an insurance company. It's expensive, but... I get a lot of cash flow coming in because you're going to pay me a lot of money on that, and then and you're and then you just go take out policies. But it's it also I seems take, like a good but, idea if you have insurance policies on like on things that are secure. I'm taking out insurance policies on properties I don't own, right? And they're crappy properties that are and, that you know you are going to flood and they're going to blow up and. They're going to foreclose on, but I don't know But that. you don't know that they're crappy properties. Yeah. Okay. Now that's that click. <laughs> I get that. So now when that reference, that reference group of assets, the, the, the water damaged houses that are about to fall over that I went out and bought yeah, or whatever, or bought insurance on. Right. When those eventually crumble, the insurance company for the person who actually owns the house is going to have to pay out and you're going to have to pay out. Yeah. And anybody else who's packaged this deal together, referencing the exact same houses is also going to have to pay out. And multiple people can do that. So they get to that, like, like, uh, Steve Carell gets to that when he's talking to the Asian guy in Las Vegas, he does ask right. the question, how, what's the percent, what's the ratio of insurance contracts on bonds to actual bonds? And he says 50 to one. And so what's that, what that means is when, let's say, 100 million in mortgages defaults, the insurance payouts is 50 times that. So be oh. if it's 100 million, means 5 billion needs to be paid out right. on the default of one asset. So that's how they magnified. And you look at this deal and you're like, how is this legal? Yeah. How is this allowed? In the, it actually was... Um, they had something like this in like the early 1900s where people would just, you'd have bookies that would bet on the performance of stocks day to day. And you could just bet on whether or not a stock went up or down. You didn't have okay. to own the stock. You could just bet on whether it went up or down. And they outlawed that. Okay. And they started regulating financial markets. And then starting with Reagan and then Clinton and then George Bush, everybody was talking about deregulating financial markets. And so these things are called, these instruments are called derivatives and they get that name because they have no intrinsic value. They derive their value on the performance of something else. Okay. And so like a stock option is a derivative because it has no value in and of itself. It's based on the value of the performance of a stock, right? Sure. So if you're given a stock option, that's not really a good or bad thing. You don't have the potential to lose a lot of money because it was given to you by your company, right? 
if you go out and buy a hundred million in stock options and the stock price goes down, you lose that hundred million and you don't own any stock. Mm. And so if you're trading in options, you have the potential to lose a lot of money. You also have the potential to win a lot of money, which was what happened in the big short. Sure. But um, the derivative markets became so deregulated that nobody knew what was going on in these deals and there was no oversight on any of these deals. And I think even some of these deals became so complex that I don't even know who could have understood these deals or the potential impact of these deals. But you just kind of had a runaway derivative market that nobody was looking at, all because Republicans were saying deregulation will fix the economy. And when you're dealing with, with things that have no value intrinsically that are worth nothing and you you're creating value out of thin air that has to be regulated sure yeah right yeah (laughs) like if i was gonna sell you this deal that that we just kind of worked through that ended up having to be a different example than like the example that made sense to me didn't make sense to you you had to come up with your own example to make sense of it yeah that's how complicated it is right if I was going to build a business on arranging deals like this, do you think there should be any oversight? Yeah, it really would make sense that someone's out there making sure that you're not taking out insurance payments on houses made of kindling next to firework factories. <laughs> like that. So I think like regulation has a purpose and, and a place in this world. Like there's some markets that like the mark when the market takes care of itself, it takes care of itself in an extremely ugly, ugly way. Sure. Right. Yeah. Because this was a market correction. The market took care of itself, but man, did banks had to get bailed out. Yeah. And the taxpayers are the one paying for that, right? Right. So yeah, it ruined a lot of crap. Yeah. Interesting. So and, and so, who's is the are the banks the, the banks are the people are the insurance companies basically the banks are the ones that are paying out when when crap goes south well it was banks selling to other banks okay so as much as goldman profited from some of these deals they also were on the other end sure that's the conversation that um michael scott has with the african-american lady from merrill lynch okay because she's saying yeah so and so took out a bunch of these credit default swaps and he's like oh that's great and she's like yeah but he also took out a bunch of deals on the other side of the bet. And now we're, uh, we're underwater 15 billion. Right. Right. And then the other, like the reason why those kids from Colorado had to get Brad Pitt to sell their default swaps is because banks were running out of money. Like the bank that they had the swaps with Bear Stearns yeah. went broke. And if they didn't sell it, they weren't going to get money from the company that was supposed to pay them the insurance policy. Right. Because banks were going bankrupt. Like it was this, all of a sudden you have this huge cash call on all these insurance policies. Insurance policies on things that people don't own, which is the craziest part. Yeah, that's nuts. So they, yeah. So Brad Pitt had to sell theirs in Europe because they weren't going to, otherwise they wouldn't collect from Bear Stearns. Right. (laughs) So in the big short, in this movie then, yeah. Like who's I like Steve Carell's the the good guy if there's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. He's 
he's realized that there's a bunch of shady crap going on and he's trying to figure it out, I guess. Well, that's like, so uh, Christian Bale's the first guy to figure it out, right? But he works it. Like well, they all end up they all end up do it using these credit default swaps, right? Which were the insurance payouts on mortgages going broke. Right. They all end up using them. In the movie, Christian Bale says that he created the credit default swap in order to short the housing market, but actually, credit default swaps existed like from the late '90s going oh, on. Okay. I think they just use that for narrative purposes. Sure. So he's the first guy who figures it out, and then Ryan Gosling figures it out and sells the credit default swaps. Yeah. Right. And that, so that's how Steve Carell finds out about it. But, but they, they all buy into it. Like they all put money into this. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all bad guys. They're bad guys and good guys. Like, well, that's why, that's why when the, the guys from Colorado start dancing in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and, and Brad Pitt's like, Guys, like you're making money off of the financial apocalypse. Yeah, that's true. He does call him out on that, doesn't he? Right. They, yeah. yeah. And that, like, so the thing with Steve Carell's character was that he always was Mr. Right. And then after uh-huh. that, he, he couldn't bring himself to say, I told you so to people. And he became a lot more compassionate and right. because he made money. But at the end of the day, it wasn't the, because the banks got bailed out. They weren't the ones who paid for it. Right. It was a taxpayer who paid for it. Yeah got hosed yeah but it's just like people and even like when i was a kid i remember just thinking oh yeah we've got to deregulate everything liberals just want to cover the world in red tape right and uh (laughs) there's some things that have to be regulated (laughs) there are some things it's true some things do have to be regulated yeah because you'll always find people that are willing to screw over other people to make a buck yeah like yeah there's no shortage of, of those kind of folks. And then when it gets deregulated and people really suffer, then communism starts sounding like a reasonable alternative. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. That's, that's true, man. Like communist or sorry, capitalism needs a referee. But when you, when you take the referee out of the game, it stops being a fair game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden somebody says, Hey, I'm the best reddest referee you'll ever see. <laughs> and I will make sure that everyone wins the game. Yeah, right. And then it turns out that everybody ends up losing the game. Everyone loses. Yeah. Wow. But but if you've gone through that crap, then it's easy to see how, how one might uh, find it compelling. Find communism compelling? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like, I don't... <sighs> I don't blame people who've been screwed over. I don't I don't blame Americans honestly for for wanting a little bit more social justice, raising taxes, whatever because seriously, like the dot com bubble and then the housing crisis, which do you know what if there were if the derivative markets had been regulated and not allowed to function as they had, it just would have been an economic bubble. It would have been like oil prices going down in Alberta. Yeah. Which is sad for Alberta, but overall, it didn't impact the whole world when oil prices went down. Right. Yeah. Frackers in the U.S. were hurt by it. Frackers and and heavy oil drillers in Alberta have been hurt by it. And yes, people are suffering, but it didn't make it to like nobody's losing their job in in Germany over this. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> 
right? Uh, Manufacturing's uh, not shutting down in China over this. No, on a global scale, it's fairly. Uh, it's regional, right? Like, yeah. it's a. It was a regional economic bubble that has been relatively well contained. Mm-hmm. It's not a global disaster. Because there's regulation on it. On yeah. There's some mm-hmm. common sense going on there. There's some controls over oil prices. But if we could start making side bets on the price and performance of oil yeah. over oil we don't own. Right. <laughs> and, like, and, and anyone can make these bets. So everyone makes the bets. Yeah. And then when there's a payout, it's, it's just no one can afford it. And we knew that the barrels of oil weren't actually oil, but were actually water. <laughs> Right. Then when you get to the other end of the pipeline, that's when you find out that, oh, it wasn't actually oil. Sorry, I guess you got to give us money. See, that's the craziest part is that you can, not only that you can take out these policies on things you don't own, but that you can, you can just go pick whatever you want. Whatever you want to insure. Yeah. So it, it really incentivizes a guy to go find the crappiest things that are the most volatile and guaranteed to fail. It's like just taking out car insurance on somebody else's car. But but no, it's not. It's like taking out car insurance on the car of a guy who you know is a drunk driver and he's going to crash. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or yes. like, it's like taking out life insurance on a on someone who's suicidal. Yeah. You know, I think I think that is the best way to close that segment is to say it's like taking out life insurance on someone who's suicidal. <laughs> Because I think that just capulates, encapsulates how evil and uh, manipulative yeah. and greedy that whole situation was. Wow, true. Yeah. It really is, man. It's just cold. Yeah. Interesting. Well, good, man. I'm glad we did this because I, I watched The Big Short a couple months ago and I still was like... And they do the little things where... where they break the fourth wall and Margot yeah. Robbie is like naked in a bathtub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you don't hear what she says, but... Yeah. But, uh, and then who's the other guy? A couple, I think they do it two or three times. There's Selena Gomez does it and that chef, the celebrity chef does it. Okay. So, yeah. And and every time they do it, I'm like, okay, this is good. They're going to teach me what's happening. And they say a bunch of stuff real fast in a casual fashion that still means nothing. I'm like, like oh, <laughs> whatever. Okay. I, like, it's bad. I guess it's bad. Good enough. It, it's enough to get like the basic idea, right? So subprime loans. So it started with like subprime loans. We're going to start making really, really crappy loans. And then everybody's like, well, the banks are like, well, nobody wants to buy our crappy loans. So we're going to repackage them as these collateralized debt obligations and say that because there's so many of them, they're now diversified and they're actually triple A rated when they should be triple B rated. Yeah. So we're going to manipulate that. And now we found out that the CDOs that we've made are actually full of garbage. <laughs> so now we're going to find a way to buy insurance on the things that we made that we know are garbage. Yeah. So when the stuff that we bought that sucks fails, we still make money on it. Yeah. And not only are we going to do it with the stuff that we bought that sucks, we're also going to oh, yeah. insure we'll with... the stuff that other people have that we know that sucks because they made it the same way we made it. Right, right. Yeah, what a, so, wow. Like, I think, I know that they oversimplify it for the sake of narrative. I think if there is a sure. way for them to make the movie, because there was another one called Inside Job and it was more of a documentary and it's like way too detailed. Okay. 
that you kind of get bogged down with the detail and it's hard to get angry enough. Sure. So if they had a way to combine a little bit more detail so that you'd be justifiably angry at what happened, you know what I mean? But make it entertaining enough that it would have massive and broad appeal. Sure. You'd have riots in the street. Like, I don't, I don't know how anybody, like the whole Occupy Wall Street thing makes sense to me now. When I was watching it happen, I just thought it was a bunch of liberal arts grads getting what they deserve. Sure. (laughs) But now I see it. I'm like, no, like this was actually horrible. Yeah. Like everybody should have been burning those buildings down. Like, we should have been dragging people through the streets. I'm surprised that it wasn't a rebellion. And I think it's because the whole situation was so convoluted. Nobody really understands yeah. how and why it happened. I think and that's who the, true. who the bad guys are, right? That is true. So, who... Uh, now, so this wasn't illegal. Was it, was it legal? No, it wasn't illegal. Like, one of the banks, the particular, like the synthetic CDO that I was describing... They tried to sue, or the SEC tried to sue uh, Goldman Sachs over it. I mean, I okay. haven't read enough to find out what happened. Sure. But there hasn't been a lot of change in terms of regulatory reform. Really? No. So this stuff is still legal? Like, it could still happen. No I way. think people are a little wise, so they'd, they'd start looking at the deals a little bit more, but you could still go out and structure a similar deal. That's unreal. Like derivative markets are still relatively unregulated and they need to be because derivatives are creating value out of nothing. Mm-hmm. It's value based on the performance of something else. It is, it does become a little bit like gambling. Like you can have a forward agreement and a futures agreement and that serves a purpose. So it's just like, I agree to pay you $50,000 for a bunch of oil in three months. Yeah. And so if you're in an industry that heavily relies on oil as an input, you want to fix your manufacturing cost. So you would agree to a forward contract with them so that you're not exposed to market volatility. That serves a purpose. There's some like there's some derivatives that serve a purpose. Sure. But they can be abused if they're unregulated. Yeah. So why aren't they regulated? Because according to Ronald Reagan and like everybody after him, Regulation was what was killing the American dream. Yeah. Well, and is there merit to that? Is that true? I think, I know my dad talked about like running his business in Calgary and he just said he felt like he was getting more bogged down with red tape. Sure. And stuff like that, making it harder for him to grow his, but I mean. So it is. Maybe regu- regulation, so, like regulation just hurts mm-hmm. small guys and it's small government regulation that I would say is the most harmful. It's not like federal regulation on markets that nobody understands is what's slowing the American dream down. Yeah. Okay. That's, <laughs> right? No, that's true. That's true. Because like, yeah, it's so complex anyways that you're right. Nobody... No one understands it, and the people that do are the ones that need to be regulated. And if the people that don't understand it aren't involved in it, and and it has it has such a another one like an industry that's still heavily regulated and should be regulated is utilities, because it's it's not market effective to have competing power plants. Sure. Because you'd have to build so much infrastructure, like so many yeah. different yeah. sets of power lines. Well, sure, and they're just way too expensive. And if you leave that unregulated, then utilities can charge whatever the heck they want to anybody sure. at any time. And it's, a, it's a necessity, right? Yeah. So you have to regulate that because it, it is one of the few things. And I think healthcare is similar. Yeah. Because it's a it's a necessity. 
people will pay whatever they have to pay to get treatment. And if you don't control that, people will... Like, if you look at medical debt in the U.S., I know of yeah. people who they get a big payout, they sell their business, and they're still kind of broke because they had to pay off medical debt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So It's pretty messed. There's, defin- there's some things that need to be regulated because they don't make sense in a market economy. But, ben, like, Ben Shapiro would kill me if he heard me say that. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think, though, these guys, all of these I actually don't know that many people on the left that are that are uh, <clears throat> like the face of the left, like Ben Shapiro might be considered the face of the right. But um, I think a lot of these guys get so ingrained in in the ideology of just being a right person yeah. that they just have to embrace fully everything that that is considered right. Like the market will fix everything and anything. Yeah, it's a little like short-sighted and asinine. I think they're just being stubborn and stupid, and maybe it, just pandering towards the their audience that they for think sure. will get them views. You know, um, which is why Jordan Peterson is like the only guy I really appreciate because I think he's he thinks more about it and he doesn't really pick a side. He just chooses a stance on individual issues. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, so didn't like no one go to jail over this stuff too? Yeah. I remember from the end of the movie. Yeah, they got bought out. The banks were bought out. Well, because it, nobody did anything illegal. Right, it's not illegal. So, so that is the, like that is the biggest thing I think that blows people's minds. And I think if you actually explain these deals to people, in in terms that they can understand. Yeah. It's like, how was that legal? Right. And it's like, well, blame Reagan. Blame H.W. Bush. Blame Clinton. They all were trying to save the economy by deregulating things guess, that no one understands. I guess I'm trying to think of what you would legalize or, or illegalize. And I guess there's a few things, but like you can't have a bank, I suppose, making these crazy – if a bank that has all of these people's money in it is able to go and and invest that money uh, in things that could cause them to have this monstrous payout that there's no possible way they could pay out. Yeah. And will force them into bankruptcy. Like that should be that sh- that should certainly be illegal. And so like you get into that with regulation and laws because now when you start regulating certain deals and transactions if you if you don't do what the regulator tells you to do, you pay a fine or you break the law, right? Yeah. Or you pay fines until you've passed a certain point in time, and then they say, okay, fines are over, you're going to jail. Right. Right? Yeah, why can't, uh, why can't you do that? Why can't you just regulate the banks on uh, – what about they – on- can't, They can. They have chosen to deregulate them. Like That's yeah. the thing is that they were regulated. They were regulated till the, the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. This, wow. There was a reason why this didn't happen <clears throat> for 100 years years yeah. it happened in the early 1900s and then they said never again and then they started backpedaling on it you know 80 90 years later when they unreal forgot. Eh? unreal what a bunch of yeah. short-sighted yeah that's crazy yeah <laughs> wow and still nothing we, we nothing's really changed we're just yeah we're just wise to it but that doesn't mean we'll still be wise to it in another 80 or 90 years like somebody will figure out a new thing to package to get garbage off their balance sheet 
to yeah. make money off of like like just imagine the evil genius in a lab who's cooking this up yeah this is dr claw level evil it is right it's it's easier to be evil when you uh when you don't know the people you're affecting yeah when you can kind of just just say oh it's affecting the masses people what whatever indiscriminately i'm not even thinking about it affecting anybody except no yeah yeah and i've had to cook up something so convoluted it's like a guy sitting in a lab mixing up an evil formula right like it It is man yeah Yeah. wow so that is where the big short falls short Hmm. and i think just to summarize what you said it is it is like taking out what they did was like taking out life insurance on someone who's suicidal 